I'm not going to read the passage in Nehemiah today, but we will refer to it as we go along in, our, in the sermon this morning. And so I'm going to start off straight away with the, my, the introduction to my sermon. Have you ever been blamed for something you didn't do? It's, it, and it's not, very, not a very pleasant experience, is it? Some people go the other way, they blame, you know, they go through life blaming other people for all of the mistakes. And, uh, the, you know, they're the ones that you, you know, that, where you might be sort of affected by that. You know, but one of the things we know as believers, we're, ex- we're expected to accept responsibility for our, you know, for our own actions, aren't we? As, as people, you know, as those who know and love the Lord Jesus, because that's where it starts, isn't it? When you become a Christian, you, when you're converted, you admit that you have personally sinned against God and you've fallen short of his, his perfect standard and recognise that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sin and you've repented and, brought, and asked him to come into your life. And we've, we've get the stage in the, the book of Nehemiah, you know, where the Israelites were starting to accept responsibility for their actions. We discovered last week that the Israelites were confronted with several challenges as they, you know, they, we reminded them that as they returned from the Babylonian captivity. And last week they'd rejoiced and they, they celebrated the, the feast together, didn't they? And they made commitments to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. And of course it's a time now for, as, they, as we, we're going to look in a few moments, I'm just going to do a quick sort of resume of the, the prayer that, they, that Ezra led the people to pray as he led them in prayer in chapter 9. And because they are, um, the title of our sermon is this, After They Said Amen. And so we're following on. After they said amen at the end of this big long prayer that Ezra led them in, where he led, you know, referred to uh, the, the, some of the significant events in their history. And in verses 5 and 6, it refers to the fact that God was the one who created. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry host and the earth and all that is in them, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything and the multitude of, heavenly, multitude of heavens worship you. So here he was reminding them of the fact that the God was the God who created the world. Another thing that was in that prayer as you go to verse 20 and verse 30, they were reminded of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. He says, you gave them your good spirit to instruct them in verse 20. And in verse 30, for many years you were patient with them. By your spirit, you admonished them through your prophets. And so he's reminding them of the the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, was at work amongst them as a people. He also affirmed to them that God had provided for them despite their unfaithfulness. Here is where God's grace was operating. In verse 25, they captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses and filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and they were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. God had given them lots of blessings as a people, even though they did not deserve them. As you go through that prayer, as Ezra prayed that prayer, 
he acknowledged all the different th times when the, or several of the different times not all of the different times he gave a selection of the different times when they had fallen short when they had not done the right thing when they had sinned against God and despite of that in spite of all of their disobedience God blessed them isn't that great to know that we're, God's a God of grace do you realize in spite of all of the things that I have done in my life the sins that I've been I've committed God still accepts me it's because of the grace and of course because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus but this was before the Lord Jesus had died and so as they moved through this, as, they, as Ezra was praying this prayer, as he was praying and pouring out his heart, as he was interceding on their behalf, it's a bit like Daniel, the prayer of Daniel as well. If you go to the book of Daniel, he similarly interceded on behalf of the people and prayed for them. He called out to God on their behalf and it comes right down, comes right down to the end. We need your help. Verse 36, you see we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and its good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the king you placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Brings it right into the present for them right there. We are in big trouble. We are in big trouble, God. We, are, we need your help. We desperately need you to guide us. We desperately need you. And so, as a result of that, as, we, as you go on in the verses that follow, in verse 38, they corporately made a public commitment indicating where they stood. In other words, we're, we're in big trouble, but we're committing our lives to you. We're committing ourselves fully to you in view of all this we are making a by <coughs> excuse me a binding agreement putting it in writing and our leaders our levites our priests are affixing their seals to it excuse me for a moment i'm still not fully over the, the dose of flu that i had a few weeks ago and still might catches up with me a little bit and so that's where we've come to today. We're now into chapter 10. So that's where they were. After they said amen to this, what happens? Where are they going to go? What's going to happen for them? And you go to the first 27 verses of the chapter, we get the names of all those who signed the document. A big long list of people. I'm not going to read, we're not going to read the names. But they registered their commitment to God. They weren't just going to be standing on the fence. They said, we're in. We're committing ourselves to God. We're going to commit ourselves to the Lord. And of course, when you commit yourself to God, you can't stay on your knees all the time, can you? Although you need you constantly go back on, get back on your knees, figuratively speaking, and pray. You're constantly coming back to God and talking to him about it. But it involves more than that. It's time now for them to start to do some things and start to have a look. You know, people talk about, you know, there's a saying about walking the walk and talking, you know, talking the talk. And some people do a lot of talking, but not a lot of action, don't they? 
Others of us try to make a mixture of both. We try to put legs to our words and start to implement and to live out what we're committing ourselves to. And that's what the Christian life's about. And that's what was going to happen for these, these people. You know, they, first of all, they registered their commitment to God and now they go on. And here are some of the decisions that they made. As we go on into chapter 10, we're going to refer to some of these verses. So I guess you've got your Bible there. You might like to turn, open it to, to Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 28 onwards because we're going to be looking at some of the verses and some of the think statements and some of the things that these people committed themselves to. And of course, their, their type of worship was they were Jews that had returned from, from the captivity of Babylon into the promised land again and they were there to is practicing Judaism we're living in a different time today but nevertheless the principles apply if we're going to commit ourselves to God then God is going to require that we live it out that we put legs to, to the words that we speak and not just make them a whole lot of words and so they demonstrated a strong desire first and foremost for God to be in control of their relationships and in chapter, you know, one of the things what they had their problems with was, was with mixed marriages. One of the commands that God had given them was that the Jewish people were not to be marry, intermarrying with the other peoples, other nations. You know, the Babylonians took the remnant of Judah into captivity. And while they were away, some of the poorer people were left there to continue living in their homeland. And they struggled to survive, but also they intermarried with the other people around about them. And when Ezra returned, and it was 13 years earlier than what the passage that we're referring to today, in Ezra chapter 9 and verse, in nine, chapters 9 and 10, there was the, you know, you know he, he returned and he was dealing, one of the first things he saw was how that the, the people had not kept up and lived out what God had asked of them. And so we find how he, he you know, he dealt with them. And the challenge was in Ezra chapters 9 and 10, if you read through that long passage, he sat there for three days. You know, he sat there, sat there, for, and sat there and prayed, and uh, and gave the and the and people responded to him, and they gave them three days to all to come in and, and to deal with this issue, and they were supposed to have sorted it all out. But it seems as though it, it, this it was a recurring problem because here we find in the passage we've got under consideration that you know. Nehemiah is you know, having, to deal, having to deal with the same problem. And so you know, the same problem has come up again. And so in chapter 10 and verse 28, we read these words. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who separate themselves from the neighbouring people for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and with their sons and their daughters who are, under, who are able to understand. All these now join with their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands and regulations and decrees of the Lord our God. And in verse 30 is where the, you know, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters as our sons. And so they reaffirmed this position. This is 13 years earlier that they had also made that same promise and they're now reaffirming it again. You know, it seems to me that they probably had gone back on it. And we're going to find, as, as you go on into chapter 13, that it was an ongoing problem that they seemed to struggle with. And it reminds me 
that some of us may have some things that we know that we should not do and we struggle with them and they come back to us and we have to continually ask God to help us with a particular issue. For these people it was marrying the people of the land. And it, was a, you know, it's, and it was a complex issue. I've, I've glossed over it very quickly. I haven't gone into all the, the implications and the difficulties and the issues associated with it. For them, it was their issue. For you, it may be something different. For me, it might be something different. Some people find they go to God and God helps them and they're released from something and it's never a problem to them ever again in their Christian life. Some other people have the same problem and it keeps coming back, recurring, and it's an ongoing issue that they need to keep coming to God and asking God for help with. And it seems as though this was the issue for these people, that they were, this was an issue for them. And it comes up several times back in Ezra, here, and further on in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. And so here they face this issue. They were prepared to hand this area of their relationships over to God. The next thing they came up was their observance of, 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 of the Sabbath of the observance and worship of God. Now, they were poor people. They were struggling to survive, struggling to eke out a living on the land. And it would have been very easy for them to think, well, I've got all this work to do. I need to provide for my family and for myself. I need to work. And the temptation was not to honour God with the Sabbath worship. And, it, and so they made the statement, they said, every seventh year we will go forego working the land and we'll cancel all the debts. When the neighbouring peoples bring merchandise of grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and we'll cancel all debts. And so there was this two-fold aspect to it. There was every seven years they let the land go fallow and every seventh day they would, would honour God and make it a day when they were going to, to worship God. And the temptation was for them to not stick to that. You know, easy, isn't it? It, suddenly it means that it seems to me that there was a, a struggle in trusting God. A struggle. You know, they had returned to, the, you know, to their own country and they, you know, they felt like a minority in the community. They were sort of like, we're, we're the minority here. There's lots of other people that are not observing the Sabbath. The foreign merchants you know, had riot, were arriving and expecting to, to be trade on the Sabbath. But God had given them instructions that they were to take, that the land was to be rested and they were to be rested in this way. Every seventh year and every seventh day. One of the things that's interesting about the Israelites was that they came into a land that's called the land of milk and honey, isn't it? Now, when they were in Egypt, the Nile River 
flooded every year, didn't it? The, the waters came down and flooded regularly and the silt came out and it, it watered the, 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 the land and the, the land was, it was a great place to grow crops and so on. Still got the Nile River going today and it's, it's dammed and the, and the water's used even today, isn't it? For, for, for a lot of reasons, a lot of purposes. A great big river. What river is there in Israel? There's the Jordan River beside it, isn't it? It's not a great river for watering the land, is it? It's a river that almost runs backwards sometimes. I get the impression it does. It goes, it goes from the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea. God brought these people into a land where they were going to have to trust him. They were going to have to ask God to send the rain. They were going to have to ask God to grow the crops. They were going to have to ask God to supply their needs. They were going to have to walk by faith, not by sight, as, we, as the New Testament tells us. That was what they were expected to do. And so they were struggling to trust God. And I wonder for you and I today, is there something in our life where we're struggling to trust God in? We're struggling to exercise faith. We're struggling to allow God to control because it doesn't sound to us, it may not sound logical. And sometimes God allows things to come so that we're going to trust him. That's what, for them, the, you know, for them it was a struggle to survive. For them it was their Sabbath day worship. The next thing was their their giving. In chapter 10 and verse 32, they were told that they, we we assume the responsibility of carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel of each year for the service of the house of our God. They're going to pay that. They had a temple tax to pay. And it seems as though God is gracious in this one because normally they paid a half a shekel. That was what, if you go back to Exodus, that's what they were asked to do. In Exodus chapter 30 and verse 13. But here it seems as though God was made a third rather than a half. Now, whether there was a difference in the type and the currency, I don't know. The exchange rates and all those sort of things may have been in play. I'm not sure at those days. But all we know is that they were, they were asked to honour God with their giving. The next thing to go on is... The, 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 the very last statement in, in verse 39, it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. You know, this really summed up what they were doing as you go and read the, the verses that just come immediately before it. Where the Levites, they were the tribe that were, to, that were served in the temple and, from, and the family of Aaron were the priests. And so are the people that were involved in the worship, actually in the worship itself. In verse 34, it says, We, the priests and the Levites and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord. They couldn't offer sacrifices if they didn't have any wood. They needed wood for their sacrifices. And so they promised that they would provide the wood. They took on, they, they honoured God in that. And as you go on further, you'll see there was other aspects of corporate worship. They were bringing to the house of God the, the, the Levites who collect the tithes in the towns. In verse uh, 37, 
Levite now, and then verse 38, the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God. Also, they would bring grain and new wine from the storehouses. They would be involved also in the worship of God. And so you know, they're honouring God with their first fruits and so on, and, and also involved in the, the new wine and the oil and so on. They were prepared to acknowledge that they would take responsibility for God's house and for the work in God's house. So here, God was bringing these people to, to honour their commitment, not just to pray, not just to talk about things, but to actually be physically involved. And so as I come to the end of this sermon this morning, the first thing I'd like to suggest to us is that we also need to act responsibly and take responsibility, accept responsibility for our own spiritual growth, first and foremost. And I believe we should be prepared to make every effort to grow in our spiritual lives. As it says in Ephesians chapter, Philippians chapter 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act for his good pleasure, purpose. And also we need to be fully committed to the Lord. And the verse that sums this up the best way I can see is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one, of you, one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And so this, this, this morning, we've got to take accept responsibility for our own spiritual lives. We need to be asking God, what does he want us to do? In what areas does he want us to, to recommit our life to him? What are some of the things that we need to do to continue growing in our spiritual life? So what I'm going to ask you to do right now, I'm going to ask you just to bow and we're going to pray. I'm going to lead, lead in prayer. We're going to pray together. And we're going to, we won't have any closing song this morning with our service because we've run out of time. So we're going to close off the service in a moment. After I've closed in prayer, there'll be also an opportunity to go to have morning tea to get official Father's Day morning tea down in the, the courtyard area over to my right. We're going to just close, I'm just going to close in prayer. But I'm going to do it, just ask you just quietly now, just to bow your head. And it's a time of quiet prayer and ask God to show you personally. Are there some things in your life that you need to do? Are there some areas in your life? where you need to hand some things over to him. And then after, I'll just have a moment of silent prayer and then I'm going to lead in prayer to close our service this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for this opportunity we've had to be together today. We thank you for a God who does speak, a God who does deal with us, not according to our sins, but in grace and in mercy. We want to thank you for that. Lord, pray that you might just help if there's folk here this morning who you've spoken to them and you've 
indicated to them things that they need to do. Pray that you might just help them as they seek to carry that through, and not just to, to talk about it, but to follow it through with action. Pray that you might just be with each of us now as we separate, as we go our separate ways, as we go out and have a time of fellowship together, morning tea together. We pray that you might just continue to be at work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. If you need to, if, as a result of our service this morning, if you need to pray with somebody, I'm going to be standing down here and, and uh, you can come to the front here and, we, and you need to pray about some of the things that, have, that you've been, God's been speaking to you about, please come forward and we'll pray with you.